This year, we're celebrating 20 years of Glass Tire. That means 20 years of Texas art coverage, 20 years of publishing writing from across the state, and 20 years of showing the world all Texas has to offer. Since our publication is a nonprofit, all of our work is made possible thanks to readers and listeners like you. If you'd like to help support our coverage, you can make a one-time gift or become a sustaining donor by visiting glasstar.com forward slash donate. Also, if you enjoy our podcast, please consider subscribing and leaving us a rating or a review. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's show. Hello and welcome to Art Dirt. This is a podcast where we at Glass Tire talk about topical art topics. I am Brandon Seck. I'm William Sarada. And today we have two topics for you. First, we're going to talk about, uh, inspired by a recent article, William, that you found, we're going to talk about the metaverse and uh, this uh, internet uh, realm that Facebook is promoting. Um, William and I both watched uh, Mark Zuckerberg's recent keynote, Meta being the new name of Facebook or the new parent company. Um, So we're going to talk about implications around that in terms of life and art. And then also we're going to talk about Notre Dame, the cathedral in Paris. Um, There have been some movements on uh, a redesign or a rebuilding of the cathedral. Uh, as many of you know, uh, back in April of 2019, uh, a fire consumed the ceiling and the spire of the cathedral and did a lot of damage to it. So now they're working on rebuilding the outside, but they're also working on what the inside of the newly revamped cathedral is going to look like. And it's a little bit of a doozy. So we're going to get into that too. But William, uh, do you want to introduce the first topic, the the metaverse and what meta is doing about the metaverse? Sure. So I came across a write-up, an opinion piece published on Art Review by Orit Gatt. Um, Gatt is a contributing editor with The White Review, which is an art journal. And it's not a super long read, but it makes the salient point that um, there's a lot of imagination being thrown around in uh, Meta, which as you described, Brandon, is Facebook's kind of rebranding as a new parent company that oversees all of their digital products. And um, yeah, in the piece, Gatz just describes that the Art is very boring in this world. Um, In the keynote that Mark Zuckerberg gives promoting this semi-hypothetical virtual reality framework, um, it's semi-hypothetical because they are rolling it out, but he admits that they haven't quite developed all of the software or hardware to make it happen. They they have a couple of different product lines. one is Quest, which is 
kind of a means to get some of these technologies out sooner than later. And then a codenamed Project Cambria, which is a little more cutting edge and definitely won't be cheap. Um, but it all comes down to taking Zuckerberg's kind of modus operandi of using social platforms to create enriching, um, immersive experiences for not just his users, but kind of his vision of a new world, I, I suppose. It's a way for like his end users to not only like devote part of their lives or their free time to his products, but it's it's a way for them to occupy the products into perpetuity and to live their life through the products. Yeah, that's that's such a good description of like the feeling that you get um, from watching this keynote. Yeah, the, the vision here is very much that um, Zuckerberg is letting us know what we're going to be doing with our time for the next decade and what it's going to look like. And so it's wrapped in this message of imagination, connection, social connectivity, which were sort of, I mean, those have also been talking points of Facebook. Um, the fact that Facebook as a company has sort of rebranded into something else is, I don't know, it seems like a pretty big red flag that they realize they, they have um, like a PR problem on their hands. I mean, we can't undercut how kind of buck wild this keynote is just as a video to watch. Like the entire keynote almost feels like a montage of, you know, your friend wants to show you a YouTube video and then he's like, well, also look at this. Well, also look at this. And by the end of it, you're just stuck watching this person's version of the world that they think you're going to like, because why wouldn't you? It's their version of the world. Um, the whole thing has a major black mirror energy. It's also an hour and 15 minutes long and it's, you know, it's like Mark and his gang, Mark and his friends showing you what they can do with, to your world. What I walked away with is the metaverse and Mark's idea, Mark, like we're best friends. Mark's idea of the metaverse is it's a theory of escapism, right? So it's, it's the theory that it's where you can live and where you can be, you know, your true self and all that you can be. And even more than you're able to be on earth because you're not limited by, you know, earthly limitations, but the impression that I get is it's still going to cost money. You know, if you want your avatar in the metaverse to wear Gucci, I'm sure Gucci is going to start producing clothes for the metaverse. It's like an opportunity for you to live your best life. But in actuality, once this becomes a thing that is actually accessible to people, it's going to be prohibitive because all of the elements of the real wor world that are prohibitive, you know, cost, class, access, all of those things are going to still be existing, but they're just going to be existing in the metaverse. The whole thing feels a little absurd watching an hour 15 presentation of someone tell you how you're going to play chess with goggles on now instead of just whipping out a board <laughs> and playing it like, you know. And Gat kind of highlights this in her description of um, a short video from Meta, a promotional piece where a couple of kids are in a museum looking at an Henri Rousseau painting. Oh my God, this video. 
the, they're looking at fight between a tiger and a buffalo from 1909. And, you know, they get a little closer and um, the animals in the picture plane kind of become, they literally become animated. They're three-dimensional. They're sort of hopping and dancing around. And then the frame kind of dissolves and next thing they're just kind of in the middle of this environment. They don't really move their position. They don't interact at all. Um, and this is what Gat calls Zuckerberg's vision, devoid of ideas, just a bunch of moving colors and animated characters. Again, that just kind of outlines the lack of necessity of any of this. If, if it takes an hour to explain to somebody how your home desktop, your gaming behavior, your you know, interaction with e-commerce will all be mediated by goggles um, in the near future. It's just like, well, I don't feel like doing that. <laughs> I, I don't feel like I need to look at paintings um, with an animated flourish. This video, I, I don't even know what to make of it. It's only a minute long. And the only good things about it that I can suss out are a, I love Rousseau, so I'm really glad that it introduced me to this painting, which is in the collection of the Cleveland Museum of Art. And B, the music that this minute-long video is set to is kind of amazingly catchy. It has, you know, it has the rap duh, 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 air horn in it, which I don't yeah. even... This video is obviously trying to be really hip. I don't even know if that that sound is in anymore. Do people use it in music? Does Gen Z love it? I have no idea. But... The video is totally like a, a social media puff piece. Like the video doesn't say anything. Right. And one of my one of my favorite moments in the video is it's, you know, this painting is um is of a tiger and a buffalo fighting. And this this video shows the two of them like bouncing happily next to one another like they're friends. And it and at one point, um, you know. It, across these two animals animated faces just the line this is going to be fun period comes up on the screen it's the most forced unnecessary it's very gaslighty for sure <laughs> um, yeah telling you it's it's more like threatening you know than s suggesting or inviting it's saying like you're you're going to do this and we're going to call it fun, whatever the experience turns out to be. Um, <laughs> yeah. And th this video, this video in a way, William, was more unsettling to me even than the keynote. And it's definitely more bite-sized. So, you know, if you're listening to right. this podcast, I recommend you watch this video. We'll link to it uh, in the post on Glass Tire. But like I Rousseau is one of my favorite painters. All of his works are super weird. They're super interesting. This video doesn't to me at least make this painting more interesting right. like I, I don't know it's such an it's such like a it's almost like an immersive van gogh choice oh yeah where they're trying to make this painting and this artist interesting and it's like no the thing itself is already interesting and i i just i i can't i can't parse it even after watching it multiple times and getting that song stuck in my head that was exactly the comparison i meant to make um brandon is the that immersive Van Gogh exhibition that's been touring the country. Mm -hmm. It's not affiliated with a museum. I, I don't believe it's mm -hmm. like, it's just a 
production event that some production house put on and you walk into a room and there's a big uh, floor to ceiling environmental projection. You can't see me, but I'm flailing my hands to explain the spatial <laughs> relationship of, of the experience. Um, and I mean, people loved it. People definitely bought tickets, but um, does it comment or contribute or describe the work of Van Gogh in any way? My guess is not really. Um, and yeah, the the takeaway from the keynote and then Gat's uh, opinion on it afterwards is, to me, is just kind of like um, the change in futuristic visualization, the, the shift in what futurism used to look like decades ago versus what futurism is turning into now. Mm -hmm. uh, Gat kind of starts the essay that way by saying that she had a book about the future when she was a kid and there were, you know, jet packs and uh, food compacted into pills. There's just something a little disingenuous about this new futurism that Zuckerberg is minting, I think. I'm just curious as to whether it'll catch on or if people will just complacently kind of roll with the punches as we've become uh, normalized to do in this world of constant updates just being downloaded to your phone. Or if people will push back um, and say, you know, we really don't want this. We don't, we don't want a device to strap around our faces 20 hours a day. We're, we're about to move on and talk about our next topic, but one of the things that bridges these two topics, you know, the metaverse and Notre Dame Cathedral, I mean, what could be more different? But both of these stories or both of these topics kind of have the general overarching idea of powers that be trying to tell people what they want and trying to tell people what is best for them um, in a very prescriptive way. And part of that is powers that be almost seemingly not giving or maybe not seemingly not actually giving people a chance to decide or speak out for themselves whether, you know, whether what they're imposing is in their best interest or not. Yeah, that's a good point. I think, like, the enunciation of the future from, like, an administrative body high up on the hill uh, bellowing down to the, the village people, hey, like, here's what's coming, and we're going to use all of these terms and labels and affects to describe it, but regardless of what you think um, or feel, this is kind of what's going to happen. Um, I'm interested how uh, how you think that pertains to the Notre Dame story, Brandon. Thanks to this week's podcast sponsor, the Art Museum of Southeast Texas. The Art Museum of Southeast Texas is excited to exhibit Francesca Fuchs' Serious and Slightly Funny Things from December 18th, 2021 through March 13th, 2022. 
The Houston-based artist Francesca Fuchs created paintings and sculptures about artifacts from our daily lives. Using subtle color and shadow, Fuchs dissolves the distinction between high and low, between personal and public, and between what we feel and what we know. Amset is open seven days a week, and admission is free. For more information, you can visit amset.org. Yeah, so um, William, while you may have focused a little more on the the meta story for today's Art Dirt, I focused a little more on the Notre Dame story. So just to give a very quick uh, history lesson, uh, Notre Dame in Paris, over 800 years old. In April of 2019, it caught fire. Uh, The fire took nine hours to extinguish. It really damaged this cathedral. Um, the spire, which was made of lead and wood, completely toppled. Um, it broke through the ceiling. Uh, under uh, restoration efforts have been in progress for a while, um, and I mean, it, it was it was catastrophic. I remember seeing the images of Notre Dame on fire when it was happening, and it's just it was heart wrenching and gut wrenching. Um, I didn't know this, but according to multiple articles that I read uh, before the fire, it was the most visited site in Europe. Um, Apparently, it welcomed 13 million visitors a year on average, which is like 30,000 people a day. Um, That's huge for a tourist site. Um, I can't believe it beat out the Vatican. Just especially because it's just like one building unto itself versus like a complex or like the Vatican museums and St. Peter's or sure. It's, it's really interesting. Um, also apparently under French law, the government owns the cathedral and it's operated by the Catholic archdiocese of Paris. Um, so when it caught on fire and when the restoration efforts began, there was initially conversation around, um, French president Emmanuel Macron was like, Hey, we might, do a contemporary uh, spire for it. And there was a lot of backlash. And ultimately, the decision was made uh, to move forwards and to restore the spire um, as it was before the fire. But there's a plan now, instead of a contemporary spire, that they're going to do contemporary interiors of Notre Dame. And the the short and dirty of what that means is uh, there is going to be, or at least the proposal is for projections of Bible verses in multiple different languages uh, on the walls, like light projections of Bible verses. Um, there's something that publications have called a discovery trail, where the story of the Bible will be told in different languages across multiple chapels. Uh, where with each chapel dedicated to a different culture. Um, part of it also is that altars and sculptures and confessional boxes are going to be replaced and moved. Um, and there's a proposal to bring contemporary art into the church. Uh, people like Ansem Kiefer, um, 
Louis Bourgeois, uh, you know, to bring modern and contemporary art alongside the art that is already in the cathedral. Um, there's been a lot of backlash over this. It's the, the plan. So it seems from the outside, at least, is that it is going to be very didactic. I get that to an extent, but in my opinion, the flip side of that is if they have an audience that's visiting Notre Dame, they're going to Notre Dame because they recognize some semblance of the cultural and historical significance of the site and everything inside of it itself. And this proposal and this plan would be them doing a major disservice to their audience. Some of the news that we read today, Brandon, kind of cites that cultural figures and critics are kind of accusing this of a Disneyfication of the historic landmark. It's a slightly awkward word to say, but what it means is the implication is that it's being turned into a theme park or it's being kind of like aesthetically standardized in a way that doesn't really speak to the design heritage or the cultural heritage of the cathedral. I just, I just don't know. Maybe I'm nitpicking. I don't know if Disney is kind of the cultural reference (laughs) that like this proposal sounds like. Do you, I mean, do you take any umbrage with comparing this, uh, you know, much needed renovation, given that the, the cathedral is in disrepair, something has to be done. Obviously, everyone's not going to like it. I mean, but do you think that it's like, in, it's a Disney makeover? You know, if you're looking for a one-to-one parallel, there there could be something there if, if chapels around the church's, you know, uh, exterior are culturally themed. It's almost kind of like Epcot right. at Disney World, where there are these different cultural... Uh, you know, the, the Japanese area and the German area, it, it has a little bit of a similarity. Part of the criticism is also that it's like a really woke transformation. And I don't even necessarily think it's a woke transformation. It's, I see the reason that in a way that the diocese would want to use it as an educational opportunity if there are so many people coming through. I mean, what better marketing ploy than to make sure that visitors, you know, the the 13 million visitors who are coming to the most visited site in Europe walk away knowing more about Catholicism. Like that's sure. Of sure that would be like obviously be attractive, but it almost seems like it's just doing it in with a sacrifice of the integrity of the space itself i i don't think disnification is the right word but i don't know what the right word is the description of like the wayfinding or like the path finding changes post uh renovation i thought were interesting the main entrance will be shifted to the front of the cathedral instead of what was um for a long time a side door on the side of the the cathedral. I've never been to Notre Dame, so I can't quite visualize it in my head outside of reading the description. So William, I'm going to jump in here because actually um, I haven't been to Notre Dame, but I have been to Italy. And some cathedrals in Italy, you were able to enter through that main door, uh, that main portico. And there really was a sense of awe whenever you 
did that as opposed to other cathedrals in Italy. I, I went in through the side door and you don't get that big like reveal of the space and, you know, the depth of the space. So that is a really cool thing about this proposal that visitors would be able to kind of enter the church and feel the space immediately. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, that's sort of entering through the portico seems like part, like one of the core design components at least from like the street level from the human level of entering and experiencing the space um as it was intended that seems pretty important and if that's going to be kind of uh reclaimed in this renovation plan um i i don't necessarily want to make an argument for placing like jeff coons and richard prince paintings in a, an 800 year old cathedral but i don't know I do think that um, the the decision to kind of globalize the cathedral in a way is a little befuddling and a little puzzling, especially in a place like France. The, the thing that's the most bizarre to me is that there was pushback about the new spire of the cathedral. So, you know, there was a motion in the Senate to make sure that the the spire would be reassembled as closely as possible to its original or you know at least how it was before the fire um the same committee that just tentatively approved these plans for the revamped interior um said that it was important to guarantee the authenticity and the harmony and the coherence of the masterpiece of the building itself so there's there's a lot of there's a lot of dissonance around this also you know, this could be my art historical background, but I found it really interesting that one of the reasons that they want to um, go this route, uh, one of the people involved um, had this quote. They said, quote, foreign visitors see signs and magnificent paintings, but don't understand a thing. Images and sculptures and paintings uh, count, but so do words. So there are plans to project words and expressions in Mandarin, French, Spanish, English, etc." cetera, uh, unquote. And... I like the idea that they're saying the art isn't enough when in fact a lot of art in Gothic cathedrals and in other churches, you know, kind of of this approximate period, the art was made so that the lay people could understand what was going on in the church, you know, like the 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 stages of the cross, like all of these things that the altars um all of these icons uh, were made for the public to help the public understand the church and the services and everything around Catholicism because the lay people of the time couldn't speak Latin. And these services were long performed in Latin. So the services weren't for the people. So the images were supposed to be for the people. And now, obviously, it's not uh, the 14th or 15th or 16th century, and we're not all going to church four times a week and, you know, all of that. But it's interesting for them to say now, okay, these images aren't enough and the words are the things that are important that people get from it. It's just – it's like a – it's a pivot. Um, and whether it's justified or not, you know, I mean, you know, grain of salt, grain of salt roll the die, like – I, I kind of see it both ways, but it's interesting from an institutional perspective for them to come back around and be like, no, the images and the icons and the art 
in the interior isn't enough. Also, I read during the research we did um, on this topic, Brandon, I read that the copper rooster that sat atop the spire has been found. It's a little damaged, as you might believe, but it's safe. Um, also, and I didn't know this, uh, there's relics within the cathedral, not surprising. A couple of them are pieces of saints, St. Denis and St. Genevieve. But then also the church supposedly acquired a piece of the crown of thorns in 1239. Um, and The actual crown of thorns. Yeah, the, the real deal for certain. Um, I wonder what they're going to do with those pieces if they're if they're going to be placed um, where they were previously. Well, I like that where they were previously, like, I don't remember what year it was sometime in the 1900s, but um, they, they were placed up in the spire to like protect the church. So I, I like that they weren't even like, they're kind of an attraction, I suppose, because they were in the cathedral, but they also, I mean, to my knowledge, if they were in the spire, they probably weren't viewable by the masses who came through. Yeah, how do we uh, know that they're reco- they're recovered and that they're safe? <laughs> <laughs> That's those are good questions, William. Uh, one of my final points that I have uh, about this, and it goes back to the idea of them bringing in work by contemporary artists. Um, but one of the articles that I was reading talked about uh, the fact that they're thinking about pairing works by contemporary artists, like I mentioned, Anselm Kiefer, Louis Bourgeois, with the cathedral's old master collection. Um, And they're saying that that would make it more accessible to contemporary audiences. I don't don't know what to think about that because I, I feel like bringing in contemporary art into a place doesn't necessarily make that place a ton more accessible to general people, <laughs> you know, it, 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 it's like, it's almost like if Disneyland was like, okay, we're going to bring in some Jeff Koons and Anselm Kiefer and Damien Hirst sculptures because, you know, it's going to make Disneyland more accessible to contemporary audiences. It's like, well, right. How, how, how does that, how does contemporary art make this thing, which is, you know, like in the case of Notre Dame, a religious space and that people can understand as such, how does contemporary art make this more accessible? It's just, it doesn't, it doesn't jive in my mind. Yeah. I don't know who you would commission in this day and age to kind of update the aesthetics uh, of, (laughs) of Notre Dame. Um, When I was writing a piece about, um, Alonzo Berruete at the Meadows Museum um, what I learned was that he was a contemporary artist when he was designing these things for the church um, so if that logic follows to now the church is in disrepair it needs to be updated um, simply putting works that were created contemporaneously with the current day do do they fit with the cathedral? Um, it sounds like an excuse to bring contemporary art into the church to spend money on on contemporary blue chip art. Um, and I guess I'm not against it necessarily, but I'm not quite a 
a scholar on cathedrals. I don't know what I don't know what you would hire or commission um, to put inside a cathedral with a history that long ranging, um, but but still attempting to like make it more of the current day. Um, William, I'm thinking about if you just went hard in the other direction, a show of like like imagine a a, a Venice Biennial or a Whitney Biennial where it's like a Louise Bourgeois huge spider just inside the cathedral and like you know it's just it's almost like a biennial inside the cathedral that would be cool but I don't think that's what they're envisioning and also maybe not in Notre Dame <laughs> that would put the fear of God in you if you walked into <laughs> Notre Dame and there was a, a giant spider looming overhead um, I'd pay to see that I just had a, a flash idea of having some sort of like Donald Judd inspired furniture uh, for the <laughs> the cathedral. So everything's very like ornate and beautiful, but then you have to sit on these tin boxes. <laughs> no you cushions. Know, we're getting very close to a Donald Judd chapel, just like the Rothko chapel, just like the Ellsworth Kelly I mean, Austin. Why not? That... That would sell tickets, so I'm sure somebody has it in their, you know, on their Pinterest board or whatever. <laughs> well, and with that, uh, that is this week's Art Dirt. Thank you all for listening. Uh, if you would like more info, this this Notre Dame thing is super interesting. We'll include uh, all of the links that we were looking at in the reading list in glass tire or on glass tire in this post. Um, we'll also include a link to Mark Zuckerberg's metaverse keynote and also to the minute long, uh, Rousseau art come to life video. Uh, that is definitely something. Uh, so if you want all of that, you can find it on glasstire.com in this post and that's it. Uh, the next time we'll be talking to you, it will be after the holidays are over. So until then, uh, we hope you all have a nice holiday. There's still a lot happening out there. So, you know, get together with the family and go see some art. Go see some art. This week's podcast was sponsored in part by the Art Museum of Southeast Texas and their exhibition Francesca Fuchs, Serious and Slightly Funny Things. The show is on view from December 18th, 2021 through March 13th of 2022. For the exhibition, the Houston-based artist Francesca Fuchs created paintings and sculptures about artifacts from our daily lives. Using subtle color and shadow, Fuchs dissolves the distinction between high and low, between personal and public, and between what we feel and what we know. AMSET is open seven days a week, and admission is free. For more information, visit AMSET, that's A-M-S-E-T, dot org.
This podcast was recorded by Glass Tire and edited by William Saradet. Copyright Glass Tire 2021.